Welcome everyone to tonight's service. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for coming out tonight. We're going to be wrapping up our Letters to the Churches series in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to be digging into the Word tonight. I hope you're excited about that. I am. I'm excited to dig in. But to start our service tonight, I'd ask that you'd stand with me as we read from the Word. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is going to be a little bit of a theme in our message tonight talking about our final victory. The Bible says that now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable, but when this perishable will have put on Im- imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Amen? Let's pray together as we begin our service tonight. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together to worship Christ. And Lord, as we worship you, we pray that you'd meet us here through the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Help us to have a posture and a heart that's ready to receive what it is that you have to say, what it is that you'd like to speak into our life. Help us to worship you with the right heart, the right attitude, And anything that we've brought in the doors tonight, Father, I pray we'd be able to just set those things aside and just focus in on being poured into and lifting up the name of Christ. And we thank you for this time now. We ask your blessing over all the classes that are currently meeting. We pray for your blessing over LifeGate as they're meeting for Bible study. Father, I pray sweet ministry would happen through the power of your Holy Spirit as we gather around the Word of God. And we gather together as a family. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is Ash Wednesday tonight. How many of you knew that? Yeah. So in some denominations, some people jump in with this and think, what can I give up to remember what it is that Christ has given up for me? And so maybe some of you are doing that. If there's still time, it's not quite midnight yet if you guys are thinking of things that you'd like to do. But... Um, just highlighting that some of you may have some coworkers and friends that have been to Ash Wednesday services today, and, uh, but I just wanted to make that note tonight. Um, for Ash Wednesday, we're going to dig into the church in Philadelphia. So if you will, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be wrapping up our series here, the letters to the churches. This has been a really neat series. It's kind of been interrupted by weather at times and kind of made things a little bit different, but... Um, This isn't the last church that's been written to, but with the schedule, this is the last one we're talking about. And um, just a few things regarding the church in Philadelphia 
This would be modern-day Al-Shahir. How many of you ever heard of Al-Shahir? You fly there last week, Brian, you know, just for a visit. and Yeah, kind of. We, but just know it's in Turkey. And uh, Rev, in the book of Revelation, the church of Philadelphia would have been the youngest city of the seven cities that we've talked about. So it wasn't as old as some of the other cities, and it was founded by the citizens of Pergamum. That was one of the cities that we've addressed here in the uh, seven churches. And there was a man by the name of King Attalus II. His nickname was Philadelphus. How many of you ever heard in the U.S. city of Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love. And that's essentially what that means, brother, lover. And his brother was a king, and his name was Eumanes. And he was very loyal to that king, and so they named this city Philadelphia. Okay. Later, this city became known as what's called Neo-Caesarea, which means the Caesar's new city. So this city kind of changed names a few times. And even later, the city became known as Flavia, which would have been honoring uh, the Roman imperial family. And so there's a little bit of name change, and I want you to hang on to that because we're going to come back to that towards the end of the message. Some, some name changing for Philadelphia. This region would have been very fertile. They were in a valley. And uh, so in this valley, there would have been a lot of seismic activity with the volcanic ash and things like that. They were known for growing grapes, for wine. And uh, this seismic activity actually led to its destruction. There was an earthquake in A.D. 17 that wiped this out. Okay, so imagine living in a city, you've had an earthquake, and now there's aftershocks. And how many of you have ever like, lived through something where you felt the earth shake and you've experienced an earthquake? Anybody? I mean, it's, I've heard it's the weirdest thing. We had some friends that were in Haiti a number of years ago when they had an earthquake, and they were in a building that was starting to kind of cave in. It's just horrifying. You can imagine just how helpless you'd feel. And these aftershocks that would take place... You could hear people in the city screaming because they were kind of like, is this the next one, you know, and there's that fear. Well, in, in this particular city, the aftershocks of this earthquake would do very similar things, and it kept the people so worried that they actually started living outside of the city in these, like, tents and these booths that they had set up. And if they were in the city and the aftershocks took place, everybody would probably start screaming and they'd run out of the city, like... I'm out of here. I don't want to be a part of this. this. We've seen what happens with this. And so there was a lot of fear there for their own safety. Now hang on to the aftershocks and the running out of the city. We're going to come back to that and hang on to the changing of the names. Because you're going to see how Jesus draws some of this out in the letter that's written to them. A little bit of their culture or their worship that they had there into some Greek gods. One god, Zeus god of sky and thunder, and then also Hestia, the goddess of family and the home. So worshiping lowercase g gods, not the god. They were also home to a synagogue for Roman imperial cult worship. So similar to Smyrna, they had the, the worship of these Roman emperors. They built a monument to Caesar Tiberius because he brought in financial aid 
when this city was destroyed by the earthquake. So imagine kind of being the savior that brings things in for them to be able to rebuild. Well, while we're rebuilding, let's build this statue, if you will, this monument, recognizing his support and what he's done for us. Similar to the church in Smyrna, Jesus took a moment to say the, the synagogue of Satan. And you'll see this brought out in this passage, but Jesus was referring to these hostile Jews who did not like Christianity. They thought Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and they were sick of people saying that he was. And so there was this pressure and this tension that was on the early church in the church in this particular city. So they're up against a lot. False worship, they're up against the hostility of the Jews. And uh, to recognize that they were a church that would know what persecution looks like, I think that's important to draw out tonight. They would have received a letter of encouragement from uh, early church leader Ignatius. That was a, a man who was uh, executed in Rome. And then they also, there were some believers from this city who were also martyred with Polycarp. If you remember, I mentioned Polycarp when I preached on Smyrna. He was the pastor of that church who was buried alive. And so you imagine the intensity and the reality of what they were facing. It was pretty in your face. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you better mean what you say because you're putting your life on the line. Okay? A little bit of a setting there. And finally, I'll just mention that this city was located on an 800-foot-high hill. And it was, very, it was next to a very important road. So a lot of Greek culture and language flowed through this city. And it would even be considered a missionary outpost if you will, for spreading Hellenism. And that, that word Hellenism is like the Greek language or the Greek culture and the arts, the customs, all of that is Hellenism. And this place kind of became the hub. And because they were so popular, it's like this was getting out into other places because of the activity that was going on in that city. I want you to hold on to that as well. This city was like a hub, and things would go out from that city. Okay? You're hanging on to the names of the city, right? Yeah, can you remember all these things? <laughs> You're hanging on to the names of the city. You're hanging on to the aftershocks of the earthquake. And you're hanging on here to this piece about how this was like the hub where this culture would go out from, okay? So before we dig into the Word, I want to just pray, ask God to just settle us in, and then we'll dive in, okay? So let's bow our heads now as we pray together. Father, as we read from your word, I pray that you would settle this place of distractions, settle this place of, of anything, Lord, that the enemy is trying to do, and just bring our hearts into a place of just being so in tune to your Holy Spirit. We invite you to come and speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. The church in Philadelphia, known as the faithful church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the king of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. And see, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. 
for you have little strength. You've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's Revelation chapter 3, 7 through 13. So I'm going to kind of walk us through and pull out some verses here and just kind of help us get an understanding of some of the things that Jesus is trying to say to this church. So in verse 7, Jesus says, These things says he who is holy, he who is what? True. And he who has the king or the key of David. And I want to just help us understand what Jesus is trying to say here. These things says he who is holy. In other words, God's saying, I want you to understand that I am the one who's speaking. The one who's speaking is totally separated from sin. He's unblemished. He's flawless. He's totally set apart. Jesus is holy. We can fly right by that and go, Jesus is holy. But think about that. Totally unblemished, pure, undefiled, he's set apart. He is something else. And then he says, he who is true, meaning he's the real deal. He's genuine. He's authentic. And I want to tell you something. In the face of persecution, this church, Philadelphia, is really facing a lot. And I don't know about you, but if my life was on the line, I would want to know that the person that I'm following is the real deal. Wouldn't you? And Jesus says, not only am I holy, but I'm true. So the fact that you're going to go all the way even unto death, I want you to know it's worth it because I am true. And he says, I'm also he who has the key of David, meaning that Jesus' authority that he has, he has the authority to allow in and to also shut the doors on the kingdom of God. That's a big deal. This represents Christ's authority to open the door of invitation into his future kingdom. And after that door is open, no one can close it. In other words, salvation is assured. And once it's closed, though, no one can open it. In other words, if you've passed away and you've not given your life to Christ, judgment is certain. Judgment is certain. He's the one who has the key of David. And then he says in verse 8, he goes, See, I have set before you an open door. I've set before you an open door. And what he's referring to here is I'm going to give you guys some ministry opportunities. There's some, some areas here that I think 
God is giving you to, to have a, um, an impact, if you will, for the kingdom of God. Now, earlier I said hang on to the fact that Philadelphia was the hub for where things would go. Think what message this church held. Think of the open door of ministry that was happening in this church. This was the hub where things would go out. They held the most powerful message in all of history. The story of Jesus Christ. And think that's the hub where things were going. This was important. This was incredibly important. As I was reading this and and kind of sitting on this thinking, Philadelphia's strategic location gave these believers an excellent opportunity to spread and advance the gospel. And then I began to, to process that here, here at Faith Community Church. Sometimes when I talk to people about our church, there's a little bit of like, a, oh, that's that church that's out in the middle of nowhere. How many of you have ever had conversations like that about our church? There's these cornfields all around it, you know, like, and to think, you know what, though? We're not in a town. We're not in a city. We are out in the middle of nowhere, but we are in an area that there's some strategy. I don't know if you understand this, but there are people from all over coming here to the hub, if you will, and then from here, out it goes. I think there's an open door right here. And to think, there are so many different towns represented in this room right now. I mean, I don't know if we really think about that when we gather to worship, but the gospel, you guys get filled up here on Sundays or Wednesday nights, and then you go on out into the communities and you share that gospel message. How cool is that? These open doors, only Christ can open and shut the doors of the kingdom and to blessing. Also in verse 8, it talks about little strength, and this little strength is possibly referring to the size of the church, maybe not a huge church, or it could also be referring to the fact that most of its members were probably people who were poor, maybe feeling like they didn't have a whole lot of significance or they were lower class people, yet in the midst of that, the Bible says that they kept God's word and they did not deny his name. That's a big deal when a church is under persecution, you kept his word and you didn't deny his name, that's strength. So while it's mentioned that they have little strength, spiritually this church had some gusto. And in verse 9 and 10 you see a little bit of a, an understanding that God will, will rightly finish any injustice that you walk through you see a little bit of that in verse 9. But then in verse 10, Jesus says, Because you persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Now, there's different interpretations and views on what this might mean and what this might look like. And some people might say, well, the hour of trial is a time where we'll go through this testing and hopefully you hang on to your faith. But the fact that Jesus says, I will keep you from that, to me, and a lot of theologians that I study and, and look at with, they're seeing the great tribulation and the rapture inside that verse. Jesus is saying, if you keep walking this faith journey, guess what? When that hour of trial comes, what's called the great tribulation, I'm going to spare you from that. 
And we're going to break this down a little bit. But with verse 10, he says, I'll keep you from the hour of trial. I want to start with an understanding of what the great tribulation is and what the Bible tells us. The great tribulation is referred to as the tribulation, the great distress, the hour of trial. I just read that part. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel calls it the 70th week. There's that 70th week still remaining out there in Scripture prophecy that's still to be fulfilled, and that is this great tribulation period. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 would call this Jacob's trouble. The great tribulation is a cleansing judgment on the nation of Israel. Not only is all hell let loose on earth during this time, because the Bible tells us that there'll be the Antichrist and the false prophet, and there'll be deception that just runs rampant over this earth, and there'll be heightened demonic activity. But in the midst of all of that, the Bible tells us that God's wrath is being poured out over this earth. This is an intense time. And as Jesus was said, suffering like we've never seen before. This is the great tribulation. His judgment will come on to the nation of Israel, and the pain and the agony will be so intense from this judgment, the Bible says people will be wanting to die. They just want, they just want big boulders to come falling on them. The Bible tells us this in Revelation. They just want to die. It's so intense. And in the midst of people wanting to die because it's so intense, the worship of Satan will begin to pick up during this time. And through that, people will end up doing more and more and more evil. You think our culture is a little twisted right now. You wait until the Great Tribulation. Things are going to look so much worse. So much worse. People will do more and more evil and they'll refuse. The Bible says that people will be so angry at God, they'll refuse to repent. They'll be so bitter and angry at God. But in the midst of this, Jesus has promised the church protection from the great tribulation. So in verse 10, Jesus says, I'll keep you from this hour and the Bible also tells us that there's coming wrath in the great tribulation. And in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5, or excuse me, 1 verse 10 and chapter 5 verse 9, talks about how Jesus has pulled us from that wrath. We're being spared from that wrath. First Thessalonians 1, it says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but instead to be saved from it. So that saving act comes through the work of the cross. We understand that if, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, that's ultimately the ticket to salvation from this moment of the great tribulation, but the rapture is what's next. And I know I said I'd start with the great tribulation and move into the rapture, but the rapture of the church, not the building, it's not going to uproot from the foundation and we just watch this thing float off and we're like, man, I wish I put my seatbelt on. You know, like the, the, the rapture of the church is the rapture, it's the taking away, the catching up in the air of the people who have faith in Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about this, that we're going to rise 
to meet the Lord in the air. I read that from 1 Corinthians 15, talking about how some of us aren't going to taste death. Like, in the twinkling of an eye, boom, we could be gone. Like, before I finish this message, we could be gone. Before I finish this sentence, we could be gone. Like, I don't know how often we think about that, but like, we need to live in the light of eternity and the fact that at any moment, your kingdom work and being able to present salvation to somebody might be coming to an end. And I can't wait for that day where I get to be in heaven with the Lord, but until then, I've got work to do. And so this rapture, which means to snatch or to seize or to be caught away or caught up. So while we rise, the Bible says, first, the dead in Christ will rise. So that means for those who are in heaven right now, their bodies will be reunited with their spirit. So the dead in Christ will rise first. Their bodies will rise. And then right after, those who are alive will meet them and join them in the air to be with the Lord. That's crazy. But that's the rapture. That's what's described in Scripture. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2, the Bible says that this day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know, we, we think about that, it's like at any moment it could happen. At any moment. And I think about, you know, people in my own life that I know that aren't ready for that moment. And maybe you can think of people in your own life that aren't ready for that moment. And if you're not a follower of Christ at that moment, you will be left behind. And you're going to live through what I described earlier of the Great Tribulation. And you may not see all the way through the Great Tribulation because of all the death that's described, the agony. And for those who come to know Christ during the Great Tribulation, a common theme for those people in Scripture is that they're going to lose their life. So to think, well, I'll just get my life settled and squared up at the Great Tribulation, it's like, listen, think about the influence of the church right now. And imagine all the churches that are filled with God's Spirit, that are followers of Christ. Imagine the influence of the church gone. And that person that's left behind, they might be able to come into a building like this and pick up some of these Bibles and go, something's up, and try to figure out what it was. But once they discover what it was, the intensity of what they will go through for being a believer is huge. The influence of the church will be gone. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the Bible tells us that for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But look, look, look at this. But the one who holds it back now will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. That is the Holy Spirit at work through the church. When the church is removed, 
lawlessness will just be totally revved up. And that's a part of the great tribulation. If the kingdom is not in your heart and the rapture were to happen, you would be left behind. And for those who are followers of Christ, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial. In verse 11, Jesus says that hold fast what you have. Now, I brought that out in the church in Smyrna. Jesus said that very same thing, very similar. Hold on to what you have. In other words, strive for the things that really matter. And I said, what are the things that really matter? God, his word, and people. Your salvation matters. Hold on to these things. And in the midst of that, it says that no one would take your crown. If you just stay focused on what God would want to do in your life, and you hang on to that, you have that eternal perspective. God's going to use you all the way to the end. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I said that overcomers are the ones who do God's will until the end. That was brought out. Jesus said that to the church in Smyrna. If you want to be an overcomer, you're somebody that's faithful all the way to the end. And Jesus says to this church, don't let anyone take that from you. Stay faithful and you will be an overcomer. Now, here's some rewards to the overcomer. This is pretty cool. This is, this, I'm revved up over this. I'm excited. I can't wait to share it. Just share it already, Russ, right? Here's some things that are given to those who are overcomers. It says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God and he shall go out no more. Remember when I said hang on to the aftershock and how people would run out of the city? Imagine their perspective, and Jesus says, I'm going to make you a pillar. So you're talking about security and stability, and you'll no longer run out. Like you get to stay in the presence of God, and this is your home. That's pretty cool. Imagine the impact that that meant to the people in Philadelphia who run out of the city and Wait till it's okay and then maybe go back. There shall be no going out. Think about that. They probably thought, this sounds like a place I want to be. And in ancient ruins, there's Philadelphia pillars that would have engravings on them. And what's neat is overcomers, Jesus says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God, and I will write on him my new name. So you get the name of God, you get the city name, New Jerusalem, and you get his new name. What is it? I don't know. But he just tells us we're going to get a new name engraved on us, written on us. There's maybe speculation on what that could mean, but I want us to understand this. Whatever you've known of God will pale in comparison to the reality that you'll be experiencing when you're with him then. There'll be things that you don't know now that get revealed to you then and you're going to be blown away, totally blown away. And while we can speculate on what these names mean, I want us to understand this. The bottom line here, these engravings indicate that you belong to the king and the kingdom. 
You are a citizen of heaven. Now as for the new city, this new Jerusalem that will come down out of the sky. Sometime if you want to read Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about this moment where there's a new heaven and earth and out of the heavens comes this new city called New Jerusalem. This is like, we're getting there now. This city is 1,400 miles wide by another 1,400. By the way, that's half of the territory of the United States of America. That's the size of this city. Half of the United States, that's the size of this city. And it's 1,400 miles high. Whoa. Just for some perspective, the Hubble Space Telescope it orbits our Earth at 350 miles in the air. This city is four times higher than the orbit of the Hubble Space Telescope. Like, Paul, if you lived, I'd be like, Paul, you throw me something I could, you know, I need a spoon. You have a spoon? I mean, imagine this place. We can read stuff like this and be like, ah, wow, this is going to be a reality someday. This city is going to be so magnificent. I don't know about you, but when I pull into a city, one of my favorite things to do is look at the really tall buildings and the architecture. Anybody love doing that? I just love that stuff. And you think, if this is what man could make, think what God has in store with this new city. Man. There's going to be brilliant walls, and these walls are going to be as thick as like a 70-yard uh, Distance, So like two-thirds of a football field is the thickness of the walls around this city. There's going to be incredible stones and pearly gates. The city is going to be pure as gold, clear as glass. This river that's going to run through it is clear as crystals flowing from the throne. There's no temple because the Father and the Son are the temple. There's no more night. There's no more curses. There's no need for the sun or moon because God illuminates this city. This is going to be something that you and I have never ever tasted or seen in our entire life. It's going to be so incredible. It's going to be so amazing, so breathtaking. And what's so cool is the reality is there's people here tonight that are with me. Someday you and I will be interacting together in this city. And there's loved ones in your life that maybe they've passed away. I want you to know someday you'll be breaking bread with them in that city. This is a reality. It's not just wishy-washy things. There's a city that's coming called the New Jerusalem, and it is our new home that we will have, and it's to those who follow Jesus. I said Philadelphia had many names, and what a neat exclamation point. Right now it is Al-Shahir, but someday we get to look forward to the New Jerusalem. And Jesus promises his suffering church an infinitely greater name, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. We will be citizens of heaven. And I just think the perspective of that, this is not my home, how encouraging is that for a church that's being persecuted? How encouraging is that for somebody who is walking through some of the hardest things maybe you've ever walked through? 
to know that this is not my home because I'm a citizen of heaven. That is my home. The new Jerusalem is going to be a place where I get to be. This is temporary. So I need to follow Christ and be faithful all the way to the end. And the Bible says, he who has a, an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And throughout our series, I believe God's been speaking every time we open the word. And my prayer is that tonight, whatever the Lord's saying to you, is that you would just listen in and allow God to speak to you and then begin to apply those things into your life. And so on that note, I'm going to bow my head and I'd ask you to do the same and I'd ask the worship team to come forward because in a moment they're going to lead us in a response song. And Father, we thank you so much for the promise that we have in you. The promise of, of eternal life, the promise we have to be a part of your kingdom. The reality is, Lord, there's people we know in our life that have not given their life to you. They've not said, I'm all in. And God, we pray for those people tonight. And we ask that your spirit would work in their hearts and draw them to you. But Lord, in the midst of this message and the things we've discussed here, it's possible that somebody listening right now is not living faithfully for you. And so, Lord, tonight, I just invite that person to say, God, tonight I surrender it all. I give you my life, and I pray that you would, you would take my life and use it for your kingdom and help me to be faithful. And I ask for this through the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.